Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we're here today to discuss the Uncanny X-Men number 134. This being the June 1980 issue, which was on sale March 18th of 1980. It is titled, Too Late, The Heroes. Have you been rehearsing, Adam? Pardon? <laughs> oh, is this is this the new refined Adam to, uh, to whom went to finishing school? I've just joined the Hellfire Club. Ah, this fan. is how we talk. Fascinating. Hey, speaking of the Hellfire Club, three of them are on the cover of this comic book. This cover is a uh, re-envisioning of issue 100, eh? Is it? Yeah, where the X-Men are facing off with the X-Men. Holy crap, you're right. And the professor being in the middle. Yeah. God, I never even made that connection until just now. I can't believe it. <laughs> That's pretty bad. I should turn in my X-Men uh, fan badge. <laughs> Your X-Card. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there was more people on the cover, though. This only features three on each side. Oh, yeah. Obviously, there's not as many people, but, okay. you know, it's clearly... An homage. It definitely. Now that now that you show it, and now that you say it, totally is. I was beginning to wonder, I was like, why do they keep leaving Nightcrawler out of all these? That is kind of strange. <laughs> they could have, they could have had him in here. Yeah. Well, they're also missing Jason Wingard. I think he's in the back there. I think it's Jason Wingard, Leland, and Shaw. You don't think that's Pierce? I think I think it is uh, Wingard. Well, regardless of who it is. It could have been there could have been four Hellfire Club members yeah. and four X Men. They could have shoved Leland back or whoever and Nightcrawler back there, and then or they would have been four on four. Yeah, yeah. Emma Frost dead. Oh, that's right. I forgot she's dead. Uh, yeah. So this features a Jean Grey, the the Black Queen, as it were, uh, with a very heaving bosom. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> The Hellfire Club has transformed Phoenix into their Black Queen. Are the X-Men too late to save her? Or themselves? Heroes and Hellfire. I think Heroes and Hellfire is better uh, than Too Late the Heroes. Yeah. Yeah, that is a better title than, than that. The title on the cover is always better than the actual title. It seems like it. I wonder if there was a guy who like did the job, like who, whose job it was to come up with the cover on the title, and he's always like, "Yeah, I showed those guys." Well, who did this cover? Ah, uh, let's see. It's uh, John Byrne and Terry Austin. Okay. All right. Well, I'm just gonna say it here. I mean, this cover is okay, and I like the homage piece, even though I didn't get it <laughs> right away. But uh, this cover and the rest of the issue, art-wise, feels a little phoned in to me. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's a great issue and a great story, but I thought there were some elements in here that, that just weren't as fully realized as they could have been. And I'll try to point them out as we go along. Okay. But Fair enough. Anyhow, 
Uh, so let's just open this thing uh, up. We've got uh, a tale of triumph and terror created by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. Crafted even. Whatever. <laughs> uh, and Terry Austin is inking. Tom Orzachowski is lettering. Bob Sharon is coloring. John Sally Krupp is editing. And Jim Shooter is still the chief editor. It's true. And when we last left our heroes, everybody thought Cyclops was dead, and that's how the issue was left on that cliffhanger. In fact, it was Nightcrawler who said, He lies so still, Storm. Colossus, his chest isn't moving. He isn't breathing. Cyclops is dead. And then we cut to the next page, which would be, Storm, Colossus, look, Cyclops is alive. I was wrong. (laughs) So clearly Nightcrawler is not a doctor. (laughs) <laughs> He's been breathing this whole time. I, I'm not good at this. He just looked like he wasn't breathing. It does say he lies so still, barely breathing, that his fellow X-Men think he is dead. But then... The way I feel right now, Nightcrawler, I wish I wasn't, referring to being alive. So apparently he wants to be dead. <laughs> he tried to contact uh, Gene through the psionic. They've changed it now. I thought last issue it was psychic rapport, but now they've... You're changed it to psionic rapport whatever uh that she uh, shares but mastermind uh came to the astral plane and uh, killed his astral form which almost murdered his physical body as well jason wingard says that uh, gene belongs to the hellfire club body and soul now and forever now and forever uh the next page uh is i like kind of the idea behind this page we get what the X-Men look like now. They're all kind of bound up and everything. And then the next panel, we get what they look like in their hero outfits. Nightcrawler looks the same. He does. And then in <laughs> the... he's got a collar on in the top one. Oh, yeah. Good point. And then in the third panel, we see what they look like to Gene. And to Gene, they look like uh, some of George Washington's Continental Army and a turncoat slave. True. She thinks they're in the 18th century after all. And then we get a vision of what Jean Grey looks like right now, which is the Black Queen of the Hellfire Club, but also known as the Phoenix, kind of giving her that guise as well. So we get to see what she looks like in both guises. She's controlled by a man named Jason Wingard, who is also known as Mastermind. So we get to see those headshots side by side. Does Jean have like a mouse clicker on her face? A mouse clicker? What do you mean? Like a little mouse arrow, an arrow click. I don't know what you're talking about. She, you know, the little her little dimple. <laughs> it, look, it looks like a mouse arrow. Oh, it does. It looks like a little cursor. You're right. Click. Cursor. <laughs> that was the word I was looking for. Yeah, that's funny. And then we get a, a the who are the Hellfire Club, but they're Harry Leland, Sebastian Shaw, and a very poorly drawn Donald Pierce. He looks creepily drawn. <laughs> he looks stupid. <laughs> Lee, look to me it looks like uh john burns started on the left leland looks great he lo- that looks like a great character of a man shaw looks pretty good looks okay not great and then you get to pierce and it's like nah i need to move on to the next page i spent way too much time on leland well this is this is a lot of faces on these on this page yeah yeah, yeah. it's interesting that uh with Storm's powers neutralized. She has pupils. Oh yeah. Huh. I guess I've never really. I mean, they do that in the movies, but I'd never really connected that in the comic book. 
guess the movies must have got it from somewhere. Yeah, in the comic book, I guess I'll have to pay closer attention, but it always seemed in the comic book that she had white pupils. That maybe not when she lost her powers and she was all punk rock. I don't really remember. Maybe it's just when she's using her powers or... Could be. When... Get a little bit of backstory as to what's been going on these last few issues. And we're also reminded that Wolverine cut some wires two issues ago. I was wondering if that was ever going to come into play or if that was something that they just forgot about. We're told that by way of a storm that's uh, coming through Manhattan, the storm drains are filling up, which is filling up the sewers, which is where those electrical wires are. Yep. Yeah. And they even uh, they even mentioned, speaking of the shortest, feistiest, feistiest X-Man. What's the commotion in the hall, Shaw? I don't know. I gave strict instructions that we weren't to be disturbed. And then we get an awesome panel of Wolverine bursting through the door with two guards on him. And even better is Shaw yelling on the side. <laughs> Leland, you unmitigated fool. You swore to me that Wolverine drowned. I just like this giant head. <laughs> it would be perfect if there was like some spittle coming out of it. Yeah. Now, why was it on Leland to have Wolf, that Wolverine that was drowned? Because I thought it was a couple of Hellfire goons. Oh, no, you're right. It was Leland that increased his mass to make him fall through the Hellfire floor into the water. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Man, it's two issues ago. I can't keep track of all this. I think this panel, this is the Wolverine. Like, we got last issue, we was all Wolverine alone, and we were looking for all the awesomeness of Wolverine. This needed to be there. Yeah, this this was not. So... Wolverine alone has basically been summarized in this one panel Yeah, <laughs> in the non-Wolverine-related issue. I mean, we got some of the cool stuff early on where he fought the, the minions, but then it became a Cyclops issue. Uh, so with Shaw distracted by yelling at Leland about Wolverine, Jason Wingard decides that this is his chance to finish off Shaw and take control of the inner circle. Black Queen, stop Wolverine. I'm a poet, and I didn't know it. <laughs> that, Jason, will be a pleasure. More of one than you can possibly imagine, she thinks to she herself. She thinks that last part to herself, She's, which is curious. To very. She hasn't really been thinking to herself lately. So she so uses... must wonder what's going on. She uses her telekinetic powers to throw Wolverine about. And to transform herself into uh, totally pink. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like and a, also Wolverine turns pink, too. So it's a part of the Phoenix power that we just haven't yet explored. I have total control over pinkness. <laughs> yeah. You may call me the Pink Queen. I'm Pink Phoenix. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jean, don't, Nightcrawler shouts about her uh, whipping around Wolverine. Jeannie, what are you doing? Jean's clobbering me with a telekinetic zap. <laughs> at that same time cyclops is thinking to himself that he hears Jean's voice inside of her head apparently she's reestablished the psionic rapport i can feel her hear her she's so beautiful shining like a star she's broken mastermind's hold on her and now she's telekinetically freeing me as well all i have to do is open my eyes my deadly eyes <laughs> Which he does, and the helmet flies off of his face, 
conveniently they built the helmet in such a way that it would fly off his face when he opens his eyes. It's it was very nice of them. It's a design flaw, if you ask me. And it looks like it's just held on by like one of those uh, diary lockets, right? <laughs> Which you know you get a little bink yep. as she unlocks it. I have to be careful. Uh, well, I sh- we should say that the mask hits uh, uh, Pierce oh, in the back Pierce. of the head. Yes, and he's be- like, Gung. <laughs> "We have to. I have to be careful." Jean's guiding me with her telepathic, uh, with a telepathic view of the room. But until I find my visor, I only have limited control over my. There it is. Deadly optic blasts. My eyes. <laughs> if I make even the slightest miscalculation, I could break someone's arms, or worse. I could accidentally unlock a door. Of course, he has laser-accurate pinpoint <laughs> accuracy, and he's able... I might blow out those candles. <laughs> he's able to blow off all the handcuffs of the X-Men. Damn my eyes. They're so darn helpful. He's like an army in this issue. He oh, takes, yeah. So first he hits Donald uh, Pierce with a the thing, then he unleashes the rest of the X-Men that he shoots... Harry Leland knocking him over uh, some sort of scaffolding to the next floor. A little later, he'll take out Shaw. But I do like how uh, Cyclops' beams goes through the Spadow. Yeah, it's convenient the Spadow knows better (laughs) than to mess with Silex's eye beams. Now the shoe's on the other foot. Two down. Yeah, uh, Leland goes flying off of a balcony and into the common club area to where the patrons are like, oh my goodness. Go, Wolverine, says Black Queen Genie. Genie, you're working on their side, of, or on the side of angels after all. Nice sneaky moves, lady. You're a woman after my own heart. I know. I wish I wasn't. Hey, that kind of hurts. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> My dialogue's just all over the place, this issue. I don't really write my own dialogue. (laughs) Hey, Leland, last time we tussled, you nearly trashed me. Well, actually, you did trash me, but you nearly killed me. Well, no, I have a healing factor. At any rate, I'm going to jump on you. You owe me a rematch. So Shaw gets into costume by taking his shirt off. (laughs) (laughs) Look at my nipples. Your vaunted optic blasts mean nothing to a man capable of absorbing all forms of kinetic energy. The harder you hit me with anything, the stronger I get. He looks at Cyclops and says, Look at me, by the way. How old do you think I am? 50? Look at this body. Does this look like a 50-year-old's body? He's got some very large nipples. I work out. (laughs) I have kale smoothies. You should try them. (laughs) Who said I was going to hit you, Shaw? What? The floor! Happy landings, douchebag. <laughs> That's what Cyclops would have said if I was writing this comic. So Pierce is an android, so maybe he should have an android voice. <laughs> shaw, shaw. <laughs> Do not worry about your leader, comrade Pierce. <laughs> Do you have problems enough of your own? Unhand me, loud. You made... Well, let's give him like a Schwarzenegger. You made a fatal mistake <laughs> assaulting me on your human form, Colossus. My Schwarzenegger's terrible. That's awful, but keep going. With my cyborg <laughs> limbs, I can bend steel in my bare hands. Smashing you to a pulp should be child's play. Hasta la vista. <laughs> Baby. 
<laughs> it is kind of a mistake. Like, why? Colossus is free. There's no mutant inhibiting. Oh, and take a look at his package on the second panel of this page. <laughs> what is going on down there? That's just some shading. <laughs> uh, I I get excited by fight. <laughs> I'm not proud. I got a little stiffy. <laughs> <laughs> a little? That's the wrong word for that thing. So he says he can bend steel with his bare hands, and then he kicks Colossus in the face. Logically, shouldn't that kill Colossus? I don't know. It's a mistake that he's attacking uh, Pierce with his fleshy form anyways. Maybe Pierce holds back. I don't want to. Well, he's still, they, still want, they still want to collect the X-Men for uh, mutant genetic testing or something. Yeah, yes. That's, that's the ticket. Colossus, Nightcrawler says. Do not worry, Nightcrawler. My pride is hurt worse than my body. I'm going to armor up now. Because <laughs> it was stupid of me not to. <laughs> now that everybody is gone, I will armor up. Oh, darn. Everyone is gone. I'm not good with timing. And then Cyclops berates Colossus. If that's true, Colossus, you're luckier than you deserve. You should have anticipated that attack. With You have a brain inside that head of yours, mister. Start using it. Armor up. Seriously. What is wrong with you? Storm, you and Nightcrawler go after Shaw. Leave Mastermind to me. This uh, Now we get to see Mastermind. He's kind of like, oh my god, everything's going wrong. So I'm going to use my uh, powers to make me look like the wall. And who knows? Maybe I can use this to my advantage. Maybe I'll emerge victorious. We see Wolverine leaping down on top of Harry Leland. Claws out. Look at it. Now... What is going on with this perspective here? <laughs> I can't tell which way is up or down or sideways. Well, I, you, get, you get the gist. But you get the gist, but like, why even draw this panel if it's going to be like Vertigo Land? He's jumping off of a, a, a balcony. Leland's on the floor. I get it, but everything is wrong with this panel. It's yeah, okay, but you get the gist. <laughs> I, I know what's <laughs> happening, but I don't know. Anyways. Uh, I guess instinctively, Leland calls out with his powers as Wolverine is falling towards him, which actually, again, increases Wolverine's mass. and Which causes Wolverine to land on top of Harry Leland and go through the floor. However, in one panel, Wolverine's claws are out, and in the next panel, Wolverine's claws on the hand that actually connects with Harry Leland are in. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like they... Wanted to go somewhere, but they didn't quite go there. Yeah. I don't know. Well, we, we hear, I don't know. We'll hear what we hear later. But it, we can definitely say that Wolverine does not impale Harry Leland here. Yeah, he just kind of stomps him in the face yep, with his and they, hand. And they go through the floor. Shaw, meanwhile, has fallen through into the secret passages that honeycomb the venerable Manhattan townhouse. And he's like, wow, Cyclops is a born leader. And he's built... I wonder if he and I could work out sometimes. <laughs> One flaw in our defenses, and in, in a matter of seconds, he had us on the ropes. I like that. I like getting my ass whooped. <laughs> it's kind of cool. He's got a respect for, for people that know strategy and stuff. But he had help, and I have an uncomfortable feeling that I know from what source. Wingard's puppet, I fear, has cut her strings. If that's true, I pity the puppet master. Oh, oh my. That's when Nightcrawler pops in and uh, somehow manages to tackle Shaw without actually hitting him. Anyone can punch Nightcrawler is going to clobber you in style. 
And Storm thinks to herself, with a slight assist from Storm, my friend. So their plan is that Nightcrawler is going to kind of keep him on the ropes, and she's going to use her elemental powers to create a micro-blizzard that should freeze him. Which is a great plan that does not happen for a couple pages. I know, it takes forever for that plan to actually come <laughs> to fruition. But meanwhile, we get a glimpse at what's going on at Avengers HQ. Hank McCoy is reading a long-titled book, and he... Um, the Origins of Consciousness in the Breakdown of the Bio... Bi, bio bicameral Mind. Bicameral Mind. Huh. There's a brang on the Avengers alert, so he runs over to check it out, and it says, Police APB, Hellfire Club reports attack by group believed to be X-Men. Oh, you're missing all of his, his inner monologue here. He's talking about being a loner, and that the X-Men are his pals, but he belongs with the Avengers. Dude, I read the Avengers. I get this all the time. <laughs> well, I mean, like for us X-Men fans that are only following along in X-Men, and this seems to follow right along with everything that you've been telling us, is that nobody likes Beast. That's the spirit, McCoy. Hide your feelings behind a flip devil-may-care facade. That's that's a little new. We haven't seen that side of him. Yeah, that's because Chris Claremont's a better writer than whoever's doing Avengers. It's like they had somebody different every week. <laughs> if you've become a loner, who's to blame? The others or you? But what do I do? Should I summon the Avengers? Or should I... What what happens? Do we trash the X-Men if we do that? And so he 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 makes a flash decision. He erases the tape and runs into the corner of the room. Never to be seen this issue again. I assumed he was actually going to go to the Hellfire Club, but... Me too. Not. Maybe, maybe we'll find more out next issue, but I don't know. Exactly. I would have thought that he would be on his way to the Hellfire Club to check it out and maybe lend a hand, but... Uh... But... But we never see him again. No, not this issue. So anyways, uh, Pierce and Colossus are fighting hand in hand. Uh, Colossus is like, this is this is crazy. I am I am big metal man. Why can he beat me? I feel pain. I never feel pain. But eventually he overcomes. Uh, and look at look at how he's drawn in the second panel. He doesn't look right here. Oh, what's wrong with it? I don't know. Look at his torso. It just looks big, fat puffy and inflated he's huge yeah he's not this huge though he just doesn't, doesn't look right in this panel doesn't bother me bothers he's me. just huge it's, it's very liefeldian kind of you what you don't see is that he has tiny feet yeah <laughs> or little uh what are they like little diamonds basically that go up to his boots he's also got like 12 pouches on but we can't see them. <laughs> and a hell of a lot of hash marks all over him yeah. Oh, Rob Liefeld. Anyways, he overcomes Pierce and eventually snaps Pierce's arm off. What? My arm? I am proud of who I am, little man. My humanity is not in the outward form I wear, but in my soul. Can you say the same? Arr! Yes, curse you. I may only be a half a man, but I'll be more human than you'll ever be, freak. I'm going to go around for governor. <laughs> So Colossus gets a face full of Pierce electrical arm wires. My wires and mechanical arm. And then Wolverine, or I mean, uh, Colossus is transported to pink gelatin land. <laughs> Come on, look at this floor. What is going on here? 
we haven't gotten you know it was green earlier but you know, <laughs> oh, okay so maybe it's a the colorist is not helping out john Byrne. Oh, maybe issue, it's but... the lighting in the room oh sure there's all these like colored gels it's like a disco inferno they're all fighting and it's like <laughs> <laughs> so meanwhile we cut to nightcrawler who is spinning shaw in his feet indefinitely which is dumb <laughs> It's his way of not hitting Shaw, which is a good idea, I guess. No, it's stupid because every time Shaw would bounce off of Nightcrawler's feet, that would be a little bit more kinetic energy passed into Shaw. Uh, yeah, I guess it depends on how you define kinetic energy. Is it kinetic energy? I, I define kinetic energy as movement. Um, the, well, there's like kinetic energy and potential energy. Potential energy is like a rock sitting at the top of a hill it has potential energy because it could roll down the hill. How did he describe it? All form, uh, a man capable of absorbing all forms of kinetic energy. Kinetic energy is like energy that's happening. Like if I'm running, I think that's kinetic energy. Or if you're being spun. Or if you're being here. spun. <laughs> Anyways, I've always liked Shaw because he's he's almost. I mean, not not quite here because he's being treated like a buffoon. But they should get rid of the whole kinetic idea and just say the harder you hit me, the stronger I get. Well, that's in a sense what it is but i don't know i like the i like the term it sounds all sciency to use kinetic energy and it works if you look up the definition of kinetic energy it, it makes sense at least it did when i was in fifth grade <laughs> anyways but um i always like this power because it's it's almost he's almost invincible but i just don't think right. that they're writing him very well right here he uh he does pull out of this maneuver by grabbing nightcrawler's foot picking nightcrawler up and punching him in the stomach Yep. Just because I have superpowers doesn't mean I've forgotten how to fight. Punch. And that's when Storm finally... Oh, yeah, I forgot. I've been building up all this cold. I was having so much fun watching Nightcrawler spin Shaw that I, I forgot to actually freeze him. It seems like this was all part of the plan for Nightcrawler to get picked up and punched so that Storm could swoop in and do this cold trick. <laughs> Well, whatever. It's gotten so cold. The weather witch is freezing me to death. I'm weakening by the second. Almost no time left to ask. And he takes Nightcrawler, who he's still holding by the foot, and tosses him into storm. She's down but not out. And that blasted cold has left me too drained, too weak to finish her. My body feels as if it's been turned to ice. Uh, so he's vulnerable to cold, I guess. Well, I mean, freezing cold. Yeah. He, he shouldn't have taken his shirt off. If he had left his shirt on, he'd be in a better position. Maybe wear a jacket, Shaw. He thinks that the others may have had better luck, but that's when Pierce walks in. But I doubt it. <laughs> We're beaten, man. Beaten! Reminds me of what's-his-face in Aliens. Game over, man. Game, Game over. over, man. <laughs> uh, how can you be so calm? Shaw's like, We've lost battles before, Pierce. The war goes on. We'll learn from tonight's mistakes. And next time, the outcome will be different. Come along. There's much to do. Meanwhile, upstairs, Cyclops is trying to tell everybody that everything's okay, folks. Calm down. But it turns out in the next panel that what they are seeing is that uh, Mastermind, through his illusions, is making it look like Cyclops is blasting the floor around everybody's feet. This person in the foreground who may or may not be Senator Kelly, probably not Senator Kelly. Well, has, he could be Senator Kelly because we know that Senator Kelly is there. He's in the club, right. Has a light blue jacket in the first panel and a dark blue jacket in the second panel. 
mastermind. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to change what Cyclops is doing. Oh, and I hate that color of blue. Let's darken that up a little bit. What happened to my jacket? <laughs> Nobody else is recolored, just him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and at that moment, the water rises and hits those electrical conduit that Wolverine cut two issues ago, and the power goes out. And of course, Cyclops says, hey, who tuned out the lights? That's all we need. We'll have a real panic on our hands. Whoever did this is an idiot. We could be a sitting duck. And then that's when Wolverine pulls out. Wolverine looks horrible in this panel. Holy crap. And Cyclops, too. He gained like 80 pounds. <laughs> He's there Wolverine with... lights a match. And uh, yeah, the, by the fire lit, he just looks huge. Yeah. It's like, it's like, Wolverine, is that you? What happened? Uh, I was at the buffet, bub. You... Uh, Leland increased my weight, and I'm still cutting some of the pounds off. <laughs> still trying to work it off. Uh, Cripes, he startled me. I was on guard expecting trouble, yet he crept up to me without me noticing. I think I'd be used to that by now, because I've pointed it out before, but whatever. <laughs> you okay? What happened to Leland? Don't ask. I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> if that means what I think it does, Professor X is going to have a fit. So I guess the, uh, the what, what he's saying here is that Leland is dead. Yes, Wolverine killed him. Yeah. Although I like the idea that he ate him. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's trimmed down on this next panel. <laughs> you know, he's got a healing factor. Yep. Find Nightcrawler and Storm. We're getting out of here, Cyclops says. It's also a slimming factor. <laughs> Too bad I hate leaving a fight half finished. But here's the boss. And this is where everything gets crazy. As Jason Wingard decides at the Hellfire Club, they did their best, but it wasn't good enough. And he creeps out of his wall illusion and tries to sneak around. She stands motionless, a shadow among shadows, feeling dark fire consume her soul. Her face is supernally calm. Her face li her face lies. Jean Grey is terrified, more afraid now than she's ever been, because she knows what is happening to her, and she cannot stop it. So Jason Wingard is skulking around the corner. He realizes that he's lost his telepathic uh, tap on Jean's mind. That must mean she's broken the control, but he can't understand how that could be, because he anticipated every contingency. You made a mistake, Jason. You slew the man I loved before my eyes. Instead of severing my last connection with the X-Men, that acted like a bucket of ice water in my face. I hate ice water! <laughs> Instead of enslaving me forever, you shocked me awake. You set me free! Too late! <laughs> no, I compensated for that reaction. My power should have... Your power is nothing! You, you have any idea what you've done? What forces you've set in motion? Gene, <laughs> no, please. <laughs> you came to me when I was vulnerable. You filled the emotional void within me. You made me trust you, perhaps even love you. And all the while, you were using me. Gene, no more, I beg you, you're killing me. And she's lifted him off the ground with a phoenix claw, and uh, she is, she's apparently slamming him into the wall. There's quite, like, she must have, he must have hit the wall pretty hard because there's all these, like, little lots, lines behind there. The wall is definitely cracked. She intends to do a lot worse than that, though. But first, 
She wants to know exactly how he reached into his, or her mind, rather. Because as we all know, Mastermind is an illusionist, not a telepath. The art, we lose it. Like, this next panel, it seems like John Byrne got tired of drawing. Mm-hmm. Because we lose a little bit here. But anyway, Wingard says, Mind tap mechanism, White Queen's design, allowed me to project illusions directly into your mind as well as monitor your thoughts. Uh, use a telepath to ensnare a telepath. Ingenious! This device enabled you to tailor your illusions to fit my most private fantasies, the repressed dark side of my soul. That's Gene. I'm tired of doing that voice. <laughs> <laughs> you gave me what I secretly wanted and, I u- and used that to destroy me. It's only fair that I return the compliment. Through me, you sought power. Very well, then, I'll grant your wish. I'll give you power, Jason Wingard, such as no living being has ever dreamed of. And she makes Jason Wingard, or Mastermind, go mad again. She makes Jason Wingard see the universe. Uh, This actually reminded me, and I wanted to look it up before this podcast, but I didn't get around to it. Do you remember Life, the Universe, and Everything? No, a restaurant at the end of the universe? Yes. Uh, There's a box that... It's like the infinite something or other machine. You go in there and you see exactly where you fit in the universe. And normally it's enough to drive any man mad. But Zaphod right. Beeplebrox goes in there. goes in and he comes out. Yeah. All about me, baby. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, he sees himself and he he doesn't. He, he goes, it's enough to make him go mad. Some people can handle the experience. Some like Zaphod Beeplebrox. Some people can't. <laughs> like Jason Wingard. Enjoy your trip, Jason. You won't be coming back. In a way, I envy you. You're at peace. Now, Adam... We know that he's gone mad before. Isn't this exactly how he ended in that Beast story? Well, no. In the Beast story, he ends up by making a permanent illusion for himself, somehow, that makes him go mad. He goes into a illusion cycle yeah but i feel like the last panel was him just like i can't believe you. yeah it pretty much is <laughs> just looked exactly like this so i look i i it bears saying again that i feel like this whole phoenix uh well black queen story with jason wingard while well paced and interesting to read is a just a a, a longer version of the beast story well, if we hadn't read the beast story we, we we'd be all excited yeah no i still am i'm I still very much like it. It feels just kind of like a like a J or Chris Claremont read that and he's like, "Boy, I like that idea, but I'd like to do it bigger." <laughs> and that's what he did. So I'm I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, you know, it, it really it, it's a lot like that issue. Cyclops meets Jean in the hallway and she uh, she throws down her now it's 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 returned to being a psychic rapport and she uh, so they they are no longer connected. Mastermind was up here. Is he? Still controlling me? No, I took care of him. What's the matter, Jean? Talk to me. Let me help. You can't help, my love. No one can. She thinks to herself. Jean, wait. But the other X-Men run in. All present, psych. What now? And that's when Jean takes over and she's... She's in charge. Yeah, we run for it, shirt stuff. I'm receiving multiple mental impressions. It's the belief. Let's go. They capture us. You can bet Shaw and the Hellfire Club will make many crim- make any criminal charges stick. So let's scoot. Scoot doesn't seem like something that Phoenix would say. <laughs> it but... really, it's, it, it, especially Phoenix. <laughs> She's all like, you know, 
Oh, this and that. Oh, you're going to die, Jason Wingard. Let's scoot. Yeah. No, that's like a 60s Jean Grey would say, let's scoot, boys. But <laughs> Phoenix, Black Queen, doesn't say let's scoot. No longer in the catacombs. Uh, Shaw is looking out the window as the X-Men escape. The moment is yours, X-Men. Enjoy it while you can. Because before I'm finished, you'll be known throughout the land, throughout the world, as public enemy number one. After police! <laughs> 911 is a joke in your town. Get up, get, get, get down. Right? Public enemy? Sure. I think the F the police was NWA, Adam. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Which is a completely different band and ideology than Public Enemy. Both good. I don't, in... I don't know anything about <laughs> Oh, both equally good in their own right, but not the same. Fine. My joke wasn't funny. No, it was, it was, it was good. I knew where you were going. Uh, they get out to the Central Park pond or whatever, and Cyclops pushes a button on his wristwatch and the mutant touches a control stud on his wristwatch. And uh, the mutant skyship uh, comes out of the reservoir. The one that we were complaining about that we had no idea where it came from, but we'll get a letter about that. It's still around. One quick getaway coming up. I wonder if I'm out of my death this time with Jean. I love her. I know she's hurting badly deep inside. I want to help her, but I don't know how. All my skill as leader of the X-Men, all the power of my deadly eyes, <laughs> aren't worth a blasted thing. So his plan is to get Gene to the professor. They left him at New Mexico. So if they think if they put this crate to full throttle, they should be there in a couple of hours. They board the plane, and Colossus and Storm are like, what's going on with Cyclops? He's so possessed and driven. Oh, Scott, your mind's an open book to me. I know your feelings, your thoughts, what you're trying to do. But it's too late, my darling. For me, for everything, for anyone who hopes to scoot. <laughs> so they take off. They're heading out towards New Mexico. Uh, Wolverine looks down and he sees all the police. They're better late than never, but, but there they are. We ought to be flattered. Looks like they rounded up an army to take us on. Against an army, Wolverine, you would have at least a hope of survival. Against me, you have none. What? <laughs> oh, no. No. Anything but that. <laughs> yeah. Hear me, X-Men. No longer am I the woman you knew. Again, I am fire and life incarnate, now and forever. I am Phoenix! And then there's a giant boom. But she's not wearing her green and uh, yellow phoenix outfit. No, 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 no. This one's the dark red and yellow. All dark and, and gold and... With the evil eyes. Next, dark phoenix. I think it's safe to assume that this here is, in fact, dark phoenix. Whoa. Crazy, everybody. Blow me down. The apex of this adventure is about to begin. So, criticisms of the art aside, like, I was, this was a page turner for me. Yeah? Because stuff was happening, you know, the, the, finally the conclusion of the, um, Jason Wingard story, some more character development with the Hellfire Club, you could kind of see what was happening with Phoenix, uh, even though we kind of made fun of the narration that was happening with uh, Jean as she's getting ready to do her business with Jason Wingard was like, it just kind of uh, aided in the story's um, 
progression. So I I like this issue a lot. Like as a solitary issue, it's a little bit weaker than it is with the prior two because you really need those two previous issues in order to feel the full arc of the story. Well, sure, but I mean, this is definitely like a good third act. Convenient, like a lot of things happen that are just like, oh, Jean Grey just kind of wakes up and saves the day, and well, without the whole battle of last issue it, you kind of miss out on that yeah but it's a, it's a good third act i mean if you were to put these three together and make a movie out of them this would be a great way well yeah it'd be a great way to finish it and set yourself up for the sequel yeah so agreed it's good stuff yeah uh yeah so um we we have quite the deep mailbag this week yeah we got uh you want to set up the reviews what, what are some of the reviews we got well, uh, it's been a while, but we did actually get some um, we got some feedback uh, out on the iTunes page. Uh, two of them, as a matter of fact, one is by Mod U M A U D U. Loves the podcast. These guys do a great job talking about the comics. Funny and interesting. Keep it up. That's a five star review. So we like seeing that. A W Lafferty says this is a fantastic podcast. He's loving it. Wants to see, uh, I want to see or do an Avengers Spider-Man or do the Ultimates in the same format. So he, sounds like he would like to do a this same style of podcast, but with Avengers or Spider-Man or Ultimates. Which I think, I think, I think he should. I think everybody uh, out there listening should do every other uh, comic book other than the X-Men. Yes. Because <laughs> then, I mean, I'm, you know, I've tried to sit down and do Spider-Man, like read Spider-Man. And they're good. You know, I appreciate the artwork at the time, the storytelling that was going on at the time. But they're very long. And sometimes they're kind of, they're they're written in a style that, you know, is not of today's style. And so if I could listen to a podcast of somebody going through every issue of Spider-Man, like that would be how I would experience Spider-Man, I think. Cool. <laughs> so same thing with Fantastic Four uh, Avengers, any any comic, I I would like to to see other people do this same thing, and then we could start a convention. Yeah, <laughs> a, a podcast convention, a comics uh, uh, built on somebody else's uh, uh, creative work. Yes. <laughs> we also got uh, some email from Austin Gorton. He writes, "Hey guys, just wanted to let you know that the skyship the X Men use in number one thirty one isn't randomly made up." It's the ship they used to escape from Larry Trask Sentinel Base in number 59 and was used by them throughout the Thomas Adams run. It disappeared after that but was never destroyed. So John Byrne, an aficionado of the Neil Adams run, likely dusted it off to use in this story since presumably Professor X, Colossus, Storm, and Wolverine took the Blackbird to Chicago. So, Good call. I think I joked about that, but I mean, it's the only thing that makes sense. It is. And it's definitely, it's definitely got to be the truth. He also uh, meant to write in about this after we covered 129, but the whole look out for the danger room business is you'll remember when Scott and Gene were walking around the corner and Gene says, Cyclops, don't you remember behind that door is the danger room? It's actually a direct panel reference to the very same scene, which I think we also made fun of in issue 60. And he, uh, he sends us panel by panel uh, comparisons of the, of the two panels. And they are actually like dialogue wise, word for word, exactly the same. Yep. Be careful, Scott. Wait, don't you remember that extra thick door leads to the danger room? 
Yeah. Uh, very funny. I, I mean, we, we, I think we made the reference that, boy, I think this happened before, uh, <laughs> but I did not connect that it was the same dialogue. Me neither. And when you put these panels side by side, it, it is actually pretty funny. Uh, and he also says his pronunciation of Fabian Nicieza's name is Nicieza. Ah, as in way. Oh, so Nici, Nicieza. Nicieza. Nicieza as in pizza. So Nici, Nicieza. Let's just, let's just not refer to Fabian. <laughs> <laughs> Fabian, uh, that's his name. There Fabian. We go. So maybe if we get some time, we'll post these panels up on the Facebook page because actually the 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 one is a Neil Adams and it's kind of a blast from the past with um, Cyclops getting blasted out of the the danger room. Brings back fond memories of those issues. Remember that two years ago? <laughs> it was a while ago. Well, I don't know how long it was ago, but it was probably around two years ago. I was just guessing. We also got a letter from Joseph Dorowski, who says, In a recent episode, you were speculating about what conversations took place between Claremont and Byrne as they were coming up with the ridiculous attire worn by the women in the Hellfire Club. Claremont and Byrne have acknowledged that much of the look of the Hellfire Club was modeled on an episode of the British TV series The Avengers titled A Touch of Brimstone. In the episode, Emma Peel infiltrates... A group called the Hellfire Club, where everyone dresses in much the same way as the club is portrayed in the X-Men. The episode, the episode is famous for Diana Rigg, the actress who played Emma Peel, wearing an incredibly revealing outfit, basically the same outfit Emma Frost wears. Perhaps that is even where Emma Frost got her name, but I've never heard that theory confirmed. Airing in 1966, this was one of the most risque outfits to have appeared on television at that time, and... I downloaded and watched that episode. Yeah. And a couple of things. She's referred, Diana Rigg does wear an outfit. It is not Emma Frost's outfit. It is actually a almost exact Black Queen outfit. Oh, really? Even down to the uh, the dog collar. You mean the uh, the the spikes? Yeah, the, the spikes collar. coming out of the, the collar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and corset and, and tiny little shorts and boots and, and stuff like that. It's pretty much exactly the same. Huh. Um, she's also referred to as the Queen of Sin uh-huh. in that uh, episode. And um, and well, all of the men do dressed as 18th century guys. Most of the women also just, they don't, they don't dress kind of crazy, but they dress like 18th century women. But only, only Emma uh, Emma Emma uh, Peel dresses up in her crazy little Queen of Sin outfit. Um, some other interesting facts is that uh, the there there is an inner circle of the Hellfire Club. I I think they're referred to as the, his superior soldiers or something. And the head of the Fire, uh, Hellfire Club in this episode, who is John Cartney is played by Peter Wingard. Oh. How about that? I think somebody told us that a while back that, well, maybe not. That this, that... Somebody told us that, that Jason Wingard was based on the actor Peter Wingard, but nobody told us that right. Peter Wingard was in this episode of uh, the Avengers that featured the Hellfire Club. So basically, Adam, what you're telling me is that Chris Claremont and John Byrne ripped off the Avengers. That's basically what I'm telling you. <laughs> Rip-offs. But uh, interestingly enough, 
um, the Hellfire Club, uh, they refer several times in the episode to the real Hellfire Club, uh, which was an 18th century club in London, um, which uh, astute listeners will note that I put a little blurb at the end of one of our episodes about it that uh, Ben Franklin, who we noted last episode, was in the background of the uh, Hellfire Club scene in the uh, at the party was there. He was a member of the Hellfire Club. Really? And they were known for their uh, debauchery and uh, it was speculated that there was some human sacrifice, but there was no no evidence, uh, you know, conclusive proof huh. to that. They did find, uh, as I noted in the in the uh, in the audio outing of my the last episode I edited, that they two hundred years later they did find ten the remains of ten bodies under Ben Franklin's uh, house. <laughs> Crazy. So that you know. Interesting. Interesting that the uh, the Hellfire Club is actually based on something real. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Uh, apparently, it was it was a house mainly of like orgies. And now they're run by children. <laughs> That's what we need more of. Houses full of orgies. Uh, yeah, <laughs> mine can't be the only one. <laughs> Adam, why aren't I ever invited over? <laughs> well, you're invited over on the nights that I keep that the orgies are out of town. Oh, where is everybody? <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to shock you. <laughs> <laughs> this is my life. This is my private thing. You don't have to be part of everything I do. Joe also doesn't know what our policy for promoting outside materials on our podcast is, but he's about to find out because he has two academic books on the X Men being published in the next couple of months. One is called X-Men and the Mutant Metaphor, Race and Gender in the Comic Books, uh, based on his doctoral dissertation and the evolving portrayals of race and gender and stereotypes in the comic book series beginning in 1963. The second is called The Ages of the X-Men, Essays on the Children of the Atom in Changing Times, and is an essay collection that he edited. Each essay addresses a specific era of X-Men-related comic books, and analyzes them in the light of contemporary social issues that are reflected in the comic books. And they sound fascinating. And if he, he says, if we're interested, he can probably get our, his publishers to send us some review copies. And I'm interested. Are you interested, Jeremy? Heck yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I, uh, I, I have, uh, have, and I've read, part of anyways, uh, The Unauthorized X-Men. Uh, science fiction and comic writers on mutants prejudice and adamantium edited by len ween co-creator of wolverine um which is an interesting book uh i'll just talk about it just real briefly um i I only read the first two chapters because really i don't know who anybody else in this book is but the first two chapters are written by um len ween and then joe casey and this book is kind of interesting because I think it's just a, it's literally it's just a bunch of essays written by like the science fiction writers and, and other comic writers, kind of uh, paralleling the X Men uh, lore and stuff against you know current times and just drawing up similarities, which I think has always kind of been the appeal uh, yeah. of the X Men. You know, the Avengers to me and Fantastic Four don't really they're fun and they have fantastical adventures. But if you're just like the dorky outcast kid, like you relate to the X-Men. You don't really relate so much to the Avengers. 
And there's other parallels, of course, with, you know, racism and sexism and all sorts of things that you can draw in with the whole mutant thing, which is mutantism. Yeah. Uh, But anyways, this book particularly is interesting because Joe Joe Casey writes an essay in which he says like, well, I got my shot at Uncanny X-Men and Grant Morrison got his shot at X-Men and the rest is history. (laughs) I mean, he basically writes his essay about like how crappy his run was and how awesome Grant Morrison run was. (laughs) So it's kind of interesting in this book that he's like yeah i i I tried to do something different i tried to put my spin on it but really the fans wanted what grant morrison was giving them and what grant morrison was giving them was the same old stories just done in modern uh in a modern style well that's what sells in comics yeah more she are michael bendis is doing right now exactly so anyways yeah we'll we'll reach out to you uh joseph dwarski i think we would like to to take uh, i'd like to take a look at these books anyways he sent us a couple of links yeah, there basically you can uh you can look for both of these books at amazon.com uh if you want to order them. We'll go over the, the titles again are X-Men and the Mutant Metaphor Race and Gender in the comic books. And the uh second one is The Ages of the X-Men Essays on the Children of the Atom in Changing Times and the author is Joseph Dorowski. I suppose he's the editor on the second one. I'm interested so in his... Him up, look him up on Amazon. I'm interested in his doctoral dissertation and uh, the evolution, the evolving portrayals of race and gender and stereotypes in the comic book series. Like, how do those things get put together? That's what I'm interested in seeing. Awesome. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, that's that. that'll wrap up the mailbag. If, yeah, that was one heck of a mailbag this week. If uh, you would like to join in on the conversation, you can visit us at www.xmenpodcast.com or you can go follow us at uh, at Danger Room Go or go to www.facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast or you can email us dangerroom at redcapproductions.com. Go out to iTunes. You can subscribe to us there by going into the little search thing, typing in uh, Danger Room under the podcast. You'll find us. You can leave us a five-star review. You could uh, leave us some words of encouragement. Uh, or you can go out to xmenpodcast.com, find uh, the episode that you like, and put comments there as well. Either any one of those mechanisms will get your comments to us, and we can talk about them here. Groovy. With that said, we are getting towards the end of the classic X-Men run. Thank goodness. Oh, by the way, Peter Wingard uh, doesn't have crazy sideburns in this episode of The Avengers and is a much more handsome guy than Jason Wingard. I could see Jean Grey falling for Peter Wingard. He's very dashing. Uh, but he was a cross be- between two people. Like maybe he had yeah. Wingard's name, but the face of the other person he was a cross between. Okay. I don't really remember. So let's jump to classic X-Men number 40. Uh, this one says mid-November. So this tells me that this was when they were bi-weekly. And on sale, August 29th, 1989. On the cover, it features a dark phoenix who is made up of the universe. And it's a mastermind that doesn't look like a mastermind on the cover. Well, it doesn't have to, though. We get we get a close-up of mastermind's face his eyes are stars. He is drooling. And this is an awesome cover. Really? I love this cover. I think it's a good cover. It's just when I look at this cover, I don't know why. And I have seen this cover in the stores back when it was originally on sale. And classic X-Men, not knowing exactly where this fell, 
and really not knowing that much about X-Men history, I would have thought that this was Proteus for some reason. No, I honestly, like, I saw the cover, and it wasn't until I read the issue that I knew what the heck this cover was about. So, yeah, I mean, you're right in that sense. Like, I have no idea just from the cover where this... The, the interest in the cover does not relate to this story for me um, or, or knowing where the story falls. Uh, what I like about the cover is its interpretation to the story that we just read. It's just a really smart uh, pulling out of a very small sequence yeah. of, the, of the comic that we just read. But yeah, as a cover itself, you're like, what is this? <laughs> we know it's Phoenix because there's a Phoenix emblem on her, but we don't know who this guy in the foreground is. Anyways, yeah, so agreed. Uh, on the inside cover, you see a poorly drawn it's a Steve Little. By the way, it is he does he does decent covers uh, from time to time. On the inside cover, we get uh, a poorly drawn Black Queen hurling Wolverine off panel, sort of. She's got a garter belt with a little rose. Yeah, it's a little That's bit skimpier than it was back in the early eighties. Yeah. Uh, this one is called Fundamental Imbalance. It was written and lettered by Tom Orzachowski. Whoa, go Tom Orzachowski! Getting a promotion. Yeah, he probably got paid more for this. He <laughs> hopefully uh, penciled by Jim Fern, inked by Joe Rubenstein, uh, colored by Glynis Oliver. Sweet. And, uh, yeah, Tom DeFalco's the editor-in-chief by this time. And it's another story. So, shall we move on? (laughs) So, as you open this, and if you don't read anything, you see a blue man in a suit, and I instantly think it's Beast. Really? No, I I knew it was Nightcrawler. Because he's so wide. He doesn't look at all. He doesn't have the there there's just something about him that does not say beast to me uh, i don't know yeah, he is a little wide for nightcrawler but i i knew it was nightcrawler it just it's it's not it's not beast enough for beast i i don't know how to how i knew it's just so the, know, each would be more hunched over and i don't know yeah it's true so the one thing i can say about this issue i mean there's nothing that happens that is relevant to anything at all true. uh but i like this story and I like the concept of the main character, not Nightcrawler, but the main character. And I thought, honestly, that this could make kind of like a really cool low-budget action flick. I did not understand. Like, what are what are the captions of the mother? The captions what? of the mother are what she's lecturing the girl throughout the entire issue, which leads to the last panel where she calls her mother and says, yeah, I'm still mad at you. So I, I'm thinking yeah, that. I, I just didn't think that. I mean, I understood what it was. I just, just was like. What's what's the point? This guy in the foreground, he he looks like uh like what is it what is he what are they trying to say by having all these captions of the mother tell her daughter that she's she's smart, she shouldn't hang out with the bad crowd. Uh she needs to take better care of her and her little brother. Uh get out of my house and then and what what what, what is the What's the point? This guy in the foreground here with the sunglasses, he looks like Ted Danson. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. I just thought like from, I think it's just setting up a story of like there's discontent in the house and uh, uh, this girl, this one-legged girl is hanging out with a bad crowd and I don't know. I just thought like from from a a story or or from a movie perspective, it would have been neat to, you have these kind of black and white scenes of the mother lecturing the daughter and then you go through the daughter's little vignettes of stories and then you cut back to the mother giving more lecture 
And somehow it kind of builds to where you kind of understand, like the two stories converge somehow. Yeah, it didn't work for me. I, I don't say, I, look, I think there's like a, a, a foundation for a very interesting story here. I'm not saying that it fully comes together in this issue. For me, the story would work just as well without the mother bits. Okay. So basically there's this girl who's got one leg and she's she's able to break dance and she's a wizard on her cane and her crutch and... But apparently it's all a rube, like, or a rub or whatever. She's doing a performance, and then some other teenagers that I think are working with her are pickpocketing all of the people that are watching her. Right, they are working with her. I don't think Nightcrawler realizes this at front. Well, he does eventually, and then he does, Pickpockets! Those kids have your wallets! Yeah, but I don't know if he realizes right away that they're working with the girl with the cane. No, he didn't right away, but he figures it out pretty quickly. And they're like the one, the mom's like, you'd make more friends if you'd take pride in your appearance. I'm sorry I don't have as much time for you as with your dad gone, but I'll try to make it up to you. We can go downtown and get your hair done and do some things. And then it cuts to her downtown, like running away from Nightcrawler, and she's doing all these gymnast or gymnastic moves where she's jumping over people with her one leg and. It doesn't work for me. <laughs> All right. Maybe I just see something that maybe there's, I'm probably filling in a lot of blanks here, but no, no, I mean, you, you maybe you're just, you just have a different sense of the story than I do. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I just, it, for me, it just doesn't work for you. It does. Uh, honestly, I mean, I would just take Nightcrawler out of this whole story and I would try to make her kind of a, um, a reluctant hero. So she starts off as like this pickpocket gang, and eventually she gets caught up in some scenario where, like, she has to be the good guy to get out of it. And everybody learns a little lesson. That's well, Which is essentially what happens. Yeah. Nightcrawler follows her down into the subway, realizing that she is twice as agile as he is. Um, he follows her onto the subway, manages to follow her off of the subway, tries to talk to her about uh, Professor X and how... She, She's a mutant, but she doesn't have any interest in that. She takes off. Uh, Nightcrawler ends up in a back alley, uh, kind of tracking her into a back alley where he gets attacked by a gang who he can't really fight because they're just a bunch of kids. And he also has a lot of trouble maneuvering in his jacket, which I don't know why he just hasn't bam out of it. <laughs> he even talks about it a few times. This will be the death of me. Uh, the girl has been watching the whole time and finally she decides in her moment of heroism I suppose to help uh, Nightcrawler out of his situation by beating the crap out of the vigilance you don't think that like a reluctant 20 some year old one legged girl who's got a lot of athletic talent like whipping around on a crutch and a cane wouldn't be a badass movie no, I'm not saying it wouldn't be a b- badass movie. I'm just it, like, you know, it not in this context. I don't know. There would have to be a lot more to it. Did Did you ever see the movie uh, Chocolate? No. It's a it's a martial arts film about an autistic, I think, girl who who learns martial arts by watching uh, martial artists work every day. And she's like, she's got all these weird autistic abilities and she, she can't really communicate very well with, with people. And she's, she has trouble and uh, uh, getting along in society. 
and all these things kind of happen around her and uh it's a really it's a, it's a really interesting movie i mean if you if you like if you like this maybe you'll <laughs> like that i don't know i think i'm just like boy this story would have been better if i would have like if i had written it <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not i'm not saying i have any writer's talent if it could be as good as the movie that i'm seeing in my head how's that sound you should watch chocolate okay chocolate maybe it might be on netflix but not chocolate with johnny depp or whoever no no it's it's a it's a martial arts film a uh, foreign film probably from hong kong or something all right so the girl jumps down she beats up some guys uh, they fight together they have some more conversations together they eventually go to some woman's house after a lot of conversating Conversating? Conversing. Night, Night, Nightcrawler basically tells her that he's part of this cool school where mutants are. And she's like, oh, I don't really want to go to your school. I'm sort of, I've got my own family. I've got my own ways of getting by. I don't need to go to your fancy school. Uh, and they end up on a bench together where her friends, the pickpocket people, show up. And uh, Nightcrawler leaves and realizes, oh, I never even told her that the X-Men are actually crime fighters. And uh, then he goes back home to sit at a desk in the corner of a giant room with a huge poster of Professor X. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is actually kind of comically creepy. It's like it's like an extreme close-up painting of Professor X's head. It's like the uh, the Wizard of Oz's head in the scene from the... And why is the room so huge? <laughs> it's got like 20-foot ceilings. Where? What room is this? And can anybody use this desk or is this Nightcrawler's office? It's the Professor X memorial room. Why is, why is Nightcrawler at a desk? <laughs> I just needed to file some paperwork. <laughs> and so the girl, she goes up to a payphone and she's like, Good, no one's around. And she calls her mom, who's been bitching at her in flashback form throughout the entire issue and says, yeah, I'm still mad. So how are you and the kid? And the kid is her brother. Right. The end. The end. So, I mean, look, it's not a, it has nothing to do with X-Men canon. It is not a good story in its own right. Yeah, but those are general, I think the ones that don't have to do with the X-Men canon are sometimes the best ones. Yeah. Well, sometimes they're not. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much 50-50 in these classic X-Men. I think I just like the idea of like a, a one-legged girl running around kicking people's ass. Like I'm, I don't, I don't think I've seen enough. that movie yet. You, you need to, you need to watch Chocolate. All right. Does she have only one leg? She doesn't have one leg, but she has a disability. Does she have no legs, and she's a ninja? A no-legged yes. ninja. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just gonna say yes. I suppose the woman is that you'll see it. <laughs> uh, what's her face in Planet Terror? She only had one leg for part of the movie. Oh, that's right. And she replaces it with a gun. See, but I wouldn't even put the gun on. I would leave her legless and, and she would just have her crutches and she'd just be beating people up with it. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder I wonder what it would take to get the rights to a classic X-Men story to adapt into a movie. Do you think well, they, do you think they just give those rights away like here, take it. We don't want this. I think you could uh loosely adapt this story and take Nightcrawler out of it and not really have to worry about it. Tom Orzachowski is sitting you know, in the movie theater going like, hey. <laughs> you give Tom Orzachowski a story credit based on a story by Tom Orzachowski. Problem is, I think Marvel owns all of this stuff. So like Tom mm, Orzachowski would probably be like, yeah, please adapt it. That'd be awesome. Marvel would <laughs> be like, no, 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 no. 
So, anyways, I'll do the Dazzler one from a couple. We'll do like a we'll do like a, a series of vignettes. Yeah, yeah. I'll do the the Dazzler story from a couple episodes ago. You can do this one, and we'll call it uh, Danger Room Theater. There you go. Wait a minute. We're going to make these things? No. <laughs> we, we're just going to do fan fiction mock we're scripts? We're just going to talk about it. Oh, okay. Well, I think I just talked about mine. Yeah. yeah, I talked about mine a couple episodes ago. Yours would be better served just by taking Dazzler out of the context and just making the people having the conversation. Well, you know, I mean, I, I you know, I, my idea was not that it was Dazzler, but that, that it was somebody with superpowers, but who never uses their superpowers okay. just kind of talks about it. We don't even necessarily even need to know what the superpowers are. You know, I think this day and age of cinema, that film could probably work. Yeah. When you've got movies like Kick-Ass coming out, I mean, I think that movie would work. A reluctant superhero. So basically, you would have a superhero in your movie that really never does anything superheroic. Right. And kind of, but they, they mention it sort of a little bit. Are there even any flashbacks? Like, oh, one time I was doing this thing and well, I had to use just my... like It would be just like what happened, which is like, well, why don't you use your powers for good? And she's like, well, I don't really feel like it. You know, I just want to be a normal person. And that would be kind of the extent of it. There would be no display of power? Like, even in the beginning, like... No, no display of power whatsoever. They'd just, just, be, just be a conversation. But the person has powers. Yeah. I think it could work if it was cleverly enough written. I think that could totally work. And everybody at the table knows they have powers, or the the one person has powers, and it's it's not the main topic of a conversation, but it occasionally comes up. It could be like the specials. Did you ever see that movie? I don't know. No, no, I've never heard of it. Oh, it's got Rob Lowe. It's like I never finished watching it, but it's like a house full of superheroes, and it's basically like they never use their powers. Yeah. It's just like the mundane day to day of their life when they're not fighting crime or something. Is it a TV series or a movie? It was a movie. I Again, I only saw half of it, so oh, maybe they okay. do end up using their powers at the end of the movie, and maybe I should finish watching it at some point. Anyhow, Adam, did you do any extra reading this week? I read Avengers number 194 and number 195. Not a whole lot to report here. Uh, Wonder Man has rejoined the Avengers, and Falcon has left. Uh, Wonder Man, his acting career is not taking off, but he has a secret job that he doesn't want to tell the other Avengers about because it turns out that he is Mr. Muscles on a kid's show, uh, some clown show, and he gets hit in the face with pies. Uh, There's a panel where Cap talks to Miss Marvel about how the Avengers are a unique group because... Unlike the X-Men, who are all outcasts who band together, and the Fantastic Four, who are sort of a family, the Avengers uh, have no real reason to be together other than just kind of a desire to do good. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I can um, agree with that. And then the uh, the story continues as Hank Pym and I guess Scott Lang has, is now introduced at this point as Ant-Man. So Yellow Jacket, Ant-Man, and Wasp attempt to bust up a... Uh, there's a, a mental institute that they discover is actually a recruitment center for, um, for minions. So, like, Doc Ock is ordering, like, 100 minions. So they're, in the disguise of a mental institute, they're... they're uh, teaching these guys to be minions, and they're all kind of like, not none of the none of the people are very smart or anything like that. Interesting idea, kind of doesn't really go very well. 
Um, they all get busted up by the Taskmaster as the rest of the Avengers are waiting outside to see what's happening, and that's that's where 195 leaves off. So to be continued next issue. All right. Well then, I guess well, there's nothing then. nothing else to add to this one, is there? Well, we could talk about how I just set my pants on fire. Ah! <laughs> All right, then. Until next time, the danger room is closed.